Good morning. It's good to be back at Sanctuary. It's been a few months since I've been here. This time, Julie got to come with me, so excited about that. Um, really still consider Sanctuary home, and it, it's good to, good to be with you again. Even when we're not here, you're in our thoughts. Bishop or Father Paul keeps us up to date on the goings-on, so it's, it's a joy to be here. I had an experience the other night. I was eating a piece of pie and drinking a Coke. You've had this experience before. Yeah. <laughs> it's healthy, taking care of my dad bod. <laughs> and somebody's got to do it, exactly. And, you know, you have the first drink of soda. It's, it's perfect, right? It's, it's iced. It's bubbly in just the right way. It's, it's a perfect, perfect drink of soda. And then you take a bite of pie, and the pie is great. But once you've had the bite of pie, you can't go back to the soda, right? Because the taste is forever, forever ruined, especially if the pie is sweet, and this was really, really sweet. And, and then, once you've had the bad taste of soda in your mouth, you can't really go back to the pie, right? So it's kind of spoiled. Well, I had an experience like that reading scripture this week. I know that never happens to any of you, but part of, part of the joy and sorrow of of preaching at Sanctuary, and the same is true at Oasis, our church in Florida where we, where we attend and I speak fairly often, is we use the lectionary, as you know, and that means I'm, I'm bound to certain texts. Now, usually I love that, but every once in a while, you have a week where just like every text is somehow not working, right? And that's what this week was like for me. So what I'm gonna do instead of preaching a sermon is just show you how miserable these texts were <laughs> and then hope that lightning strikes in the midst of all that and somehow God speaks, right? The, the image maybe is we're just going to stir up a bunch of bees, just a lot of buzzing, and then hope that there's honey by the time everything is, is over, right? The gospel text, let's start there because that's what happened with me is I started with the gospel text. And it's probably the most obnoxious person in Scripture who's presented to us in this gospel text, the Pharisee who goes up to the temple to pray. And again, that's saying something, because there are a lot of obnoxious people in Scripture, right? <laughs> people like uh, Peter, the apostle, come to mind, right? There, there are a lot of obnoxious people. But this Pharisee, goes up to the temple to pray, and his prayer is, God, I thank you that I'm not like. And then he has a list of people that he, he's glad he's not like. Now, it's, it's a bad sign when your prayer starts, I thank you, God, that I'm not like. Right? The, the first part is okay. I thank you, God. So far, so good. Then, that I'm not like. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a hard right turn. You don't want to do that. I'm not like these other people. And he lists thieves, cheats, adulterers, this tax collector. And as if that's not enough to let God know that he's thankful that he's not like these other people, he lets God know that he also fasts twice a week. And he doesn't have pie and soda, obviously. And gives tithe of all of his income. Now, both of these kinds of claims are, are over the top. Because within... Israel's tradition, there, there is no need to fast twice a week, 
not even required to fast once a week. You're required to fast during one season of the year, around a few days. So he's going way over the top in fasting. And you're, you're required to tithe, it's true, but there's disagreement about what you have to tithe, of what you have to tithe. Certainly no one thinks you have to tithe of all your income. And so this man is going way over the top, right? Just to make sure that he's right. So he's not only not like the adulterers and not like the thieves and the rogues, he's also fasting more than anyone else and he's, he's tithing more than anyone else. So essentially, he's the overachiever. Now, I adore my wife. When I met her in college, that may seem like a strange transition, but you'll see. <laughs> when I met her in college, she was the classic overachiever, right? And I was the classic underachiever. So I, every class, if I went to class at all, I sat at the back of the class, I came late and, you know, did whatever I wanted to do. I wasn't paying attention. She, of course, was early, sat at the front of the class, took notes, was always nodding, agreeing with the professor, raising her hands for clarification. In that last point you made, professor, which was so well put, could you just, would you just, would you say it like this and, and then going back to her room after class and copying her notes into another notebook so that, you know, she could have it exactly kept for the future. And she just was the classic overachiever, right? If she made a 98 on a test, she wanted to know where did those two points go, <laughs> right? And so if, if she didn't have the Lord, she would have been like this Pharisee, I think, right? But she has the Lord and so she's not at all like the Pharisee. <laughs> no. But you, you know, I mean, I'm reading this text this week and I'm thinking, what kind of obnoxious person does this? I mean, who would think that God wants to hear about how good you are and how you go over the top for God. That's so obnoxious. And the way Luke sets the parable up, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble now, everybody needs to pray. <laughs> I'm gonna deprecate myself in just a moment and make up for some of that. But the, then Luke turns our attention. Luke is a really heavy-handed editor. And so when you read the Gospel of Luke, he's always telling you, this is what Jesus really meant. And so he tells us, notice in this parable, Jesus told this parable because he wanted us to see that some people consider themselves righteous and despise others. And then it sets us up to see the other man in the parable, the tax collector, as the good alternative, right? So you've got this obnoxious Pharisee who's so far above and beyond what he needs to be, the classic spiritual overachiever. And then you've got this tax collector who stands afar off, the text says, but we don't know afar off from what or from whom. So it could be that he's standing at the back of the room away from everybody, or it could be he's standing as far away from the Pharisee as he can because he doesn't want to be noticed. But regardless, he stands afar off and he doesn't even lift his head. He's just staring at the floor and he's beating his breast and crying out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, I think we're supposed to think of that as right. But it, this week, it just hit me as kind of gross, kind of self-hateful, rather than truly humble, just, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because I've been there in my life or I've been around people that it felt like it was, they, just like you can take your, your pride and your righteousness to an extreme, I think you can take your pride and your unrighteousness to an extreme. And for some reason, this, it felt like that this, this time, right? That this, this man is distraught, 
he's afraid to even lift his eyes to God. And we know that's not, that's not God's orientation to us. God doesn't want us to be in that kind of, that, that kind of intimidation. It's not, it's not anything that pleases God for us to be afraid to look God in the eyes. So there, there's something about it that just it hit me sour. It just seemed like I don't want that either. I don't want to be that Pharisee, for goodness sake. But I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to, I mean, I like self-deprecation as much as the next man, but only so much before it just gets annoying, right? And this, this is too much, right? You're really not that bad. I mean, come on, right? There are worse tax collectors, at least. And so I thought I would just take refuge in the other texts. It didn't work out very well. The first place I turned was Psalm 84, which is the psalm for the day in the lectionary. And listen to this, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. And all I can hear is the Pharisee. All I can hear is someone who is saccharine, hyper-spiritual. You know those people, God speaks to them every day about everything that's going to happen in their life, right? I was teaching a class once at ORU. This, this is a footnote, but gives you an example of, of someone who hears from God all the time. I was teaching a class, and we were talking about death. It was a philosophy course, so we're talking about death. And I, I somehow made reference to Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have forsaken me? And that God himself experiences the forsakenness that comes in dying. And I, you know, I thought it was a fine lecture, and then I noticed there's a student on the, on the front row who's not at all pleased. Again, notice front row student <laughs> is not pleased. <laughs> and so, sure enough, her hand goes up. She says, that's not what happened. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, that isn't what happened. I said, you're going to have to say more. I don't know what you mean. She's like, that is not what Jesus was doing. That is not what he was thinking. That's not what his experience was like. I said, Really? we're reading the text. What are you seeing that we're not seeing? She's like, I'm not talking about the text. I just asked Jesus and he told me it wasn't like that. (laughs) I put my head down on the podium and said, class dismissed, right? That was, that was it, right? I didn't, what do you say, right? So, so that's how this, this Psalm hit me this week, right? This, this person loves church so much. Listen to this. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God and my King. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. And the psalm, it just goes on and on and on. So much happiness. I live in Florida and there's too much sunshine. More, more than a few days of sunshine and I get really depressed, right? <laughs> and there are these kinds of people that just drive me batty. Like, there's not that much in life to be happy about. There really isn't. There really isn't. And church surely isn't one of those things. I mean, I'm glad to be here. I really am. I love sanctuary. I love you. I love these moments. But it's not as if this is the only thing I eat and sleep and think about throughout the week. It's not like it's just like, well, it's Tuesday. I can't wait till Sunday morning gets here. I get to go to the house of the Lord, right? I don't think like that. And if you do, don't tell me, right? It's, it's, it's a kind of responsibility. I, I enjoy the responsibility, but it's, it's a responsibility. 
And so I do it. And I will keep doing it, mostly because my wife will make sure that I keep doing it, because she's the overachiever. No, I, I love doing it, but you know, there are times, and this week was one of those times, where it just, it hit me the wrong way. Like, oh, and I just had this picture of this psalmist in a leotard with one of those praise banners, you know, from like the 80s charismatic church, just dancing, just swirling around, singing this in this high-pitched voice. And I just slam my Bible shut. I want no part of that. <laughs> so then I, the, the reading for the epistle is 2 Timothy. So I thought, well, let's look there. So 2 Timothy, surely the, the Apostle Paul will have something sensible to say. And that will help us. So 2 Timothy chapter 4. I turned to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and this is what I read. As for me... I'm already being poured out as a libation. And the time, I liked that. I like libation. That was good. That was a, a tick in the right direction. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And again, all I can hear is the Pharisee. That here's this man at the end of his life who's just, he's sure that he's done it right. I, I've done it. I've finished the race. I, I, God is waiting to give me the crown. Now that may be true, and I, I'm sure in another, another time, in another place, this text would have hit me differently, but this week it just hit me as so self-satisfied. And is it really what a man like Paul would be thinking at the end of his life. I mean, we know Paul's life was deeply troubled in all kinds of ways. Is this really what he was thinking? Just the, the, the story of this text, we don't know for sure even that Paul wrote it. It might have been written by one of Paul's successors in Paul's name. We don't know. There's a lot of controversy around the history of this text. But the story is that Paul writes this the day he dies or the days before his death. But that just hit me wrong. Is that really... What it would be like, I mean, that kind of self-satisfaction, it would feel so much more authentic to me if Paul were at the end of his life wondering what his legacy would be. Wondering why no one is with him. Wondering whether it's going to matter what he's done. But no, in this text, he comes off as, as fully assured. I've done everything the right way. It sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul before he met Jesus. Right, this kind of, it sounds a long, a long way from the Paul who says, I'm the chief of sinners. It sounds a long way from the Paul who says, I despaired of life. Or Luke alone is with me. Right, they're, they're, this, this just seems like the wrong note to strike. And I, and I don't, I mean, I want to feel, at the, I think, at the end of my life, I want to be able to look back and feel like I was faithful. But... Who knows what I'll be thinking, but I, I'm sure there will be more doubt in me at the end than this. More uncertainty. I'll be asking for certainty. I'll be saying to Julie, hopefully she's still with me after today. <laughs> Babe, what, was it okay? Did, did I really do all right? Anyway, this, this text, it didn't comfort me. So I thought, well, maybe Jeremiah will. And you know when you say something like that, 
when, you, when you've come down to Jeremiah as your hope, <laughs> you have no hope anymore. And sure enough, that's, that's what we get. So Jeremiah, the reading this week from Jeremiah is typical weeping prophet, right? So that's, that's Jer- Jeremiah is known as the, the weeping prophet for good reason, right? Because even though we, we love, there are two passages from Jeremiah that we, we love. The before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And the I have a plan for you and a future for you. The problem is the, the passage about the plan I have for you and the future I have for you is not actually for Jeremiah. He's having to say that to Israel, but he's going to die before it takes place and he knows it. It's a really dark promise, actually. Like, the next time somebody quotes that at you, just cringe. Because the fact of the matter is, the, I, Jeremiah is the prophet who's burdened with telling Israel, you have a future, but I don't. And the, the bit about before you formed me in the womb, you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and, and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations, the very next part is, and I'm sending you to the people who will not listen to you. So the, the point is that he's making to Jeremiah is don't doubt that I made you because your experience is going to be an experience of failure. My, one of my mentors, uh, Ricky Moore, who's an Old Testament prophet, uh, Old Testament prof, says that Jeremiah is the prophet of lost causes. That's who Jeremiah is, right? So when you're looking to Jeremiah for hope, again, there's trouble, right? Because Jeremiah is not a center of hope. And sure enough, he again doesn't disappoint. Jeremiah 14 Jeremiah 14, verse 7. Our iniquities testify against us, but act anyway, O Lord, for your name's sake. Our apostasies indeed are many, and we have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, our Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger, like a traveler turning aside for the night? Why should you be like someone confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot give help? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. So, I mean, notice what he said. Our iniquities are over our heads. Our apostasies are excessive. If you're going to save us, you're going to have to do it for your own sake, God. There's nothing in us to save. But God, you're kind of like that warrior who's a really powerful warrior, but who never shows up to the battle. Let's sing that song for a while. Don't, don't by the way. That's not, I don't think that would be an acceptable song. But that's, that's Jeremiah's thought. You're like a traveler who turns aside for one night. Have you ever felt this way about God? Like, God, you, you show up when it's least convenient, right? You're the traveler who shows up at the door. I, I, need a night to, I need to stay the night with you. But then you're gone when I need you. Jeremiah says, you're confused, God. But our hope is in you. <laughs> and by the time you get to that line, our hope is in you. I mean, you've lost all hope just like he has, right? If the God who's your hope is a confused warrior who only stays one night... After the battle is over, I mean, what, what hope is there really? So I'm in a mess at this point, right? I've got the Pharisee who's just so over the top. I've got the tax collector who's over the top. The psalmist in his leotard spinning the banner, singing about how much he loves church. The apostle Paul who's just arms crossed, carefully considering the fact that he's about to die, having achieved so much. And then Jeremiah, who's like ready for opioids, like anything to deliver him. 
from the pain he's in. And, what, and that's all. That's all the texts. Now what? There's no sermon there. There's no good word there. I mean, all of it is just hitting me as, I don't want to be any of these people. I mean, if I have to pick, I'll pick Jeremiah. But, <laughs> but I don't want to have to pick Jeremiah. Even with the opioids. I don't want, I don't want that. But I, I sure, I don't want to be the Pharisee. I mean, nobody wants to be the Pharisee. Even the Pharisee, I mean, truth be told, when the Pharisee read this text, he was like, come on, it wasn't like that. <laughs> I promise you. He was like, Jesus, seriously. It wasn't like that. And the, and the tax collector, I mean, that may be worse. That kind of just pious self-hatred is disgusting. And the psalmist, I mean, I love leotards as much as the next man, but the, you can only take so much of that. So what do we do with it? So I, I, I sat with the text and I prayed. And I prayed and thought about the texts. And this, this is what came to me. I think some of what we should feel is that one, it's kind of normal to be all over the place spiritually. Right? At least I hope that's true because I'm all over the place spiritually. The fact is, there are times where, even though I would, wouldn't want to say it like that, I feel something like what the Pharisee was feeling. In fact, I had this, this feeling last night. We were on the way here from Oklahoma City. I was sick. I was in the back seat of the car, just trying to hold all of my liquids within my body. <laughs> and they're Julie and her brother are talking about this man I know who I despise. Oh my gosh, I dislike this man so much. And I'm like, I don't want to listen to talk about this man while I'm as sick as I am right now. And then I thought, well, okay, that's not that far from the Pharisee, actually. Like, I thank God I'm not like that guy. And the tax collector, and the psalmist, and Jeremiah, and Paul. I don't want to be any of these people. But the fact is, at some time or another, I've been pretty much all of them. One way or another, I've been self-satisfied or I've been despairing. You know, I've accused God of not showing up, or I've acted like, you know, I, I'm just ecstatic to be used by God. And the fact is, that's, that's normal. And I think that it's really important to understand that it's normal. That we all are just a little bit schizophrenic, spiritually speaking. We're all just a little bit all over the place, and that's okay. And certainly when you think about a community, one of the beauties... Uh, of the moment like this is that there are Jeremiah's in this room right now and there are Pharisees in this room right now and there are tax collectors in this room right now and Jesus just puts his arm around all, around all of us and draws us close. Because I think the key is not to fret about the fact that this is where you find yourself. The worst thing you could do is say, oh, I'm Jeremiah, I don't want to be Jeremiah. Or I'm the tax collector, I don't want to be the tax collector. Or I'm the Pharisee, I don't want to be the Pharisee. And then rush to try to fix it. I think what's key is just to say, this is where I find myself right now. But I'm going to stay right where I am with God's people and with God. And when the mood changes, when I go from being the psalmist to being Jeremiah, I'm going to stay right here with God's people and with God. 
And when my mood changes again and I feel like the Apostle Paul and I feel satisfied like I've accomplished everything that I was supposed to accomplish, I'm going to stay right here with God's people and with God. And then when I feel like I've failed completely and I'm an embarrassment to everyone who loves me or ever thought about loving me, I'm going to stay right here with God's people and with God. I think that's the key. That's the key. Just stay close. Stay tethered. Let the people of God be constant. Let the word of God, let the table be constant. And with all that's changing in your life, all the ways in which your interior life is up and down, high and low, in and out, light and dark, just stay tethered. Stay tethered to the house. Stay tethered to the worship. Stay tethered to prayer. Stay tethered to the reading of scripture. Just just stay tethered to these things. And learn to, to have a sense of humor about the way that you feel at any given time. I think it's some of the best advice I've ever been given is don't take yourself too seriously. Especially in matters of faith. Don't, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't, don't undersell yourself, but don't take yourself too seriously. And if you're in a Jeremiah moment, be there. And if you're in a Psalm 84 moment, be there. I mean, not around me, but you can, you can be there. So I, I, I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with this. I do think there are, um, there are moments in these texts that show us something like a tug. Earlier in the service, Bishop talked about God's hook in us. And I think that's, that's a perfect image for what I think is happening in these texts. In that it's like God has his hook in us. I, I used to go fishing with my grandfather. And one of the things he would always teach me about when you, when you finally feel the fish, take the hook. Give one initial pull... And then be patient. Don't, don't reel too fast. Once you've got that initial pull so that the hook is set, don't, don't pull too fast because the line could break or you could lose the fish in, what, in some other way. And I think there are ways in which God has his hook in us, but he's pretty patient. He doesn't just reel us in as fast as he can. He, he knows how not to break the line and how not to break us. And there, there are moments, and I'm not going to go through all these texts. I've already taken too long. By the way, I did this whole sermon in like eight minutes in the early service. So how do you feel about yourselves now? Now I feel like the Apostle Paul. I've done exactly what I should have done. But the, yeah, sorry. So there, there's these two moments that I want to draw attention to because I, I, this, is, this is what I felt like the Lord said to me about these texts. At the end of the day, as funny as it was, and, and I was laughing through a lot of it, was this, there, there's a moment when the Apostle Paul is, is recounting all of his accomplishments in which he says, and these people betrayed me, but don't hold it against them. And then he goes on to talk about more of his accomplishments. But there was this moment where his attention went away from himself to other people for just a second. And he said, don't, don't count it against them. And then he came right back to what was happening in his own life. And the same thing happens here with this Pharisee. He goes up to pray. He's praying. And he notices this tax collector. And I think that was God just pulling the hook just a little bit to the Pharisee. Hey, notice somebody else for a moment. Just look away from yourself for just one moment and notice this person, this other person who's so unlike you. Now, I don't think the Pharisee, he kept fighting. 
I don't think he yielded to what God was doing, but I think that was a holy tug. A moment where God with his hook in the Pharisee is just trying to pull him a little closer to the boat with notice this other person. And the same thing is happening with the Apostle Paul while he's there satisfied with what he's accomplished. God is just like, hey, don't forget about these people. So what I want to leave you with is this. Some point in this week or the week to come, sometime soon, you're going to be in the middle of one of these moods. You're going to be weeping with Jeremiah or dancing with the psalmist or sipping your cocktail with the Apostle Paul with your pinky distended. You're going you're gonna to be in one of these moods and God is just going to tug your attention onto somebody else's life. Where suddenly it's not about you. It's not about your mood. It's not about your high or your low. It's not about your failure or your accomplishment. It's just notice this other person. And right in that moment, this is what we need to pray. God, help me to stop. Stop my weeping or my laughing. Stop my celebration or my despair and just let me see the other person and then help me to see what you're seeing and to say what you're saying and to hear what you're hearing and I think if we do that what we will find is that God will pull us into the boat so that we aren't people who are constantly obsessed with whatever our mood happens to be but like Jesus, our attention is on other people. This is, this is an obvious fact, but it's shocking when you think about it. The Gospels tell us almost nothing about Jesus' spiritual life. We know he prayed, but we don't get glimpses much into Jesus' highs and lows. Because Jesus' concern is with other people. And even when he's having highs and lows, they're highs and lows that have drawn other people into them, into himself. That, I think, is what we're called to, is to a kind of spirituality that's not self-obsessed. It's not carried away when it's low, and it's not carried away when it's high. It has a good sense of humor about itself, and it's mostly concerned about the spiritual health of the other person. Think about how much our lives would change if we just weren't obsessed about whether or not we're getting it right. We just were present to serve. Present to help other people. To listen when we need to listen, speak when we need to speak, just be present when it's time just to be present. That's what I think God is wanting for us. Let me pray for you and I'm done. And all of you while I'm praying, for you pray for me that my wife will forgive me. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be with family and friends. God, I pray you, you do tug us as you're pulling us toward the boat. You tug us so that our attention goes away from ourselves, away from our, our obsession with our failures or our accomplishments. God, whatever mood we find ourselves in, God, don't let us be overtaken by it. Don't let us be overwhelmed one way or another. But God, help us to see the other person, to hear the other person, to be fully present to the people in our lives who need us, who need us to be present to them, who need us to pray with them, who need us to celebrate with them or weep with them. God, I pray, I pray that that will be our yieldedness this week, that we will live with that, that openness, that readiness for that moment when you 
nudge us to attend to somebody else. Help us to be ready for that, waiting for that moment, and to respond in ways that bring life to other people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.